How's everybody tonight? Hey, happy Veterans Day to you all. For those who serve, thank you for your service. Tonight we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 46, 47. We're almost done. Jeremiah is almost in the books. Then we get to do Lamentations. Yeah, it, it keeps getting better. <laughs> Tonight we're going to be beginning a section of the book that is in every uh, major prophet. There is a section called the Oracle Against the Nations. Every one of them has it. There, there'll be a section where they'll talk to the surrounding nations that God will speak through the prophet his <clears throat> judgment on them. So that part of the reason is as we go through this text and as we understand Jeremiah, um, yes, God is going to judge the nation of Israel just like God's going to judge us, the nation of the United States and the world for our uh, response or rebellion or rejection or obedience to him. In the same way, uh, God judges Israel, but there was not a, everyone else didn't have a pass. The, the prophets teach us that all men will stand and give account. The New Testament tells us is appointed unto man once to die, and what's next? The judgment. So that, that man will stand before him. Now, when we stand in that judgment, we will either stand in the righteousness of Christ or we will stand in our own. And if you're in your own, you're doomed because there is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. There is only one righteousness that will appease the Father, and that's the righteousness of the Son. And we are clothed in his righteousness, uh, Scripture teaches us, when we believe. We put our faith and trust in him. So we see as God is developing this idea through his prophets, he's holding his own people accountable. He holds them accountable, and they will face judgment. The New Testament talks about something called the Bema Seat Judgment for the believer. Every believer will stand before the, the judgment seat, the Bema Seat of Christ. It's not a judgment of salvation. Did you make it or didn't you make it? It is a judgment of what you've done. The things we do will pass through the fire. The Bible talks about it, right? What's wood, hay, and stubble will burn away. What is gold and, and silver and precious gems will survive the fire. That, uh, on the other side, is our uh, reward. People often ask me, what, what do you need a reward for? Well, in Revelation 4 and 5, there's an event that I believe... Uh, People standing before the Lamb as though he had been slain, they will fall on their face and they will cast their crowns at his feet. They will, basically the reward that we receive for walking in obedience to Christ and allowing him to use us and, and 
do whatever it is that he had for us to do, our reward is having something to give him. To be able to say, everything I did was because of you. Not because of me. Everything I did that was pleasing to God, I did in submission to Christ. And so, as we work our way through the prophets, and I know sometimes we see, I mean, we're, we're going to do 52 chapters in Jeremiah. And as we're in the Oracle of the Nations, tonight we're going to look at Egypt and Philistia. Um, but we're going to end at Babylon. So nobody's off, right? Israel's had their, their judgment. Uh, Egypt has theirs. Philistia has theirs. Moab will have theirs, Edom will have theirs, all the way down to Babylon, who is the tool that God used to bring his judgment during the time of Jeremiah. But even they will give account to God. Even they are held accountable. So when we look at it, when we look at the oracle of the nations, we want to keep in our mind this ideal, and we also want to understand that all those nations were given a voice. The prophets went to the nations. The prophets wrote to the nations. Jeremiah wrote to Egypt. Jeremiah is going to go to Egypt, right? He's going to die in Egypt with the people who were disobedient and fled the land. So Jeremiah is going to go through that. We see that, that as this is being uh, um, laid out, God is not leaving the nations void. The idea is that Israel is going to be a light to the Gentiles. But we sometimes think the only way to be a light is if you're a good example. Any of you have older brothers? Did you ever learn from them? Probably should have. <laughs> right? The examples that go before us. Can you only learn from a good example? I know my kids. My middle son was way sneakier than my older son. My oldest son, the the, the early model, he did everything out in front and got caught and was punished for the things he did, whatever went on. And my middle son learned to be sneaky. He didn't learn to be good, but he learned to be sneaky. But my point is, from the example, even the, the, the bad things that were done, there was things learned. So, so the light of God is evident whether it's through his judgment or through his mercy, right? The light of God goes forward and the opportunity to learn from those who have gone before. One of the reasons why Ezekiel tells us the Lord was, was uh, angry with Judah was because Judah didn't learn the lesson of her sister, Israel. Right? Judah saw Israel fall and was judged 150 years before Judah. But Judah made the same mistakes. And so the Lord held Judah accountable for that. Hey, you should have learned from watching your sister Israel. So all of these things we see as we look through the oracle against the nation. So we have God's judgment Against the nations. Now, these are a series of both prophetic and poetic uh, writings. So, most of them in your Bibles, depending on what Bible you have, will have them uh, separated by verse. That is just so you know it's uh, Hebrew poetry. 
And one of the blessings of Hebrew poetry is it's not like English poetry. In English poetry, we like words that rhyme. Hebrew poetry doesn't care so much about rhyming words as much as comparisons and contrasts, rhyming the ideas uh, that are going on in the text. So hopefully we'll be able to see some of that tonight as we take a look. So we jump in, Jeremiah 46, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations. Verse 2, about Egypt. So this one we're going to begin looking at uh, Jeremiah's, the Lord's word to Jeremiah for Egypt. He's going to give us the time frame concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So he gives us time frame, right? We're gonna, this is to Pharaoh Necho. It's, it was intended to be given to them uh, as a result of their uh, failure at Carchemish, where they're going to lose the battle to Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord's going to lay out for them, hey, this is uh, part of God's judgment against Egypt. It's part of God's call to the nation of Egypt to hear <clears throat> the word of the Lord. So verse 3 begins the prophetic and the poetic. He says, prepare buckler and shield and advance for battle. Harness the horses, mount O horsemen, take your stations with your helmets, polish your spears, put on your armor. So the idea, here Egypt is getting all prepared. They're ready to go out and face Babylon. They're, they've got all their ducks in a row. They've got all their plans made. But here's what the prophet wants the people to know. The battle is over before it starts. You're all signed up. You're all prepared. You're all ready. But at verse 5, he says, why have I seen it? They are dismayed and turned backward. Their warriors beaten down and have fled in haste. So everything starts so well, right? The preparation, everything's good. You're ready. You're going to go down there to face Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord is saying, this is all prepared and it all looks good, but it's already over. Before you ever fought the battle, it was already over. Why? Because God is working in Egypt. God is not only bringing his judgment against sin and, and calling to obedience, but God is working. The, the voice of the Lord was being heard. There's multiple times, obviously, in Old Testament scripture that we can point to that the Lord well, was bearing witness in Egypt. The easiest one to go to is the Exodus, right? Why, why did that whole event take place? Why did the Lord draw his people? The Lord told Moses, I'm going to go at this time so that I can judge the gods of the Egyptians. I'm going to show the Egyptians they are no gods. And so you see judgment after judgment after judgment in the plagues against the gods of Egypt as the Lord is proclaiming himself to be the Lord. Now, when Egypt leaves and they are, are asked to leave, uh, or when Israel leaves and they're asked to go, um, we know there was a mixed multitude that went with them, right? Now, we can argue whether or not the mixed multitude was good or bad, but the mixed multitude was evident that the people in Egypt saw what was going on and recognized there was 
truth behind the God that was calling the Israel people to himself. And so Egyptians went with them. They gathered out and went in that place. So here, same way, the Lord is saying, look, I know you think you are running the show. I would say the same thing to us today. I know we think we're running the show, but God is saying he's running the show. I know we think this is all uh, a big, pl- I'm, not a, I'm not very good at, at being a, uh, someone who sees uh, conspiracy. I don't, sorry, you can talk to me about all the conspiracies, I'll listen. I will give you a kind ear, but I think it's all hogwash. I think planes hit the towers at 9-11. I don't think there were explosions in some diabolical thing. I actually believe of the craziest things, we went to the moon. I know they made a movie about how that was fake, but there's no way you can keep that a secret. Why in the world would the Russians play with us and say, we were to, why wouldn't they say, no, you weren't the first ones on the moon. We were the first ones on the moon. We're going to film it first. How in the world do you keep all those things secret? You know the only way to keep a secret is if everybody who knows the secret's dead. Then you can keep a secret. Otherwise, nobody keeps a secret. But what Scripture teaches us is that God is moving in history, right? God is he's moving in our history right now. He is not gone. He has not run away. He's not wringing his hands in heaven going, oh, no, I don't know what to do with those crazy Americans. No, God knows what's going on. We, his people, are called to submit to God and do whatever he's calling us to next, right? The things we know, those are the things that we should be about. So I believe God's moving in history. I believe God's moving in the history of Nebuchadnezzar. I believe God was moving in the history of Daniel going to Babylon. I believe God used Daniel as a young man to witness and be an example to Nebuchadnezzar, which ultimately, I believe, brings Nebuchadnezzar to faith. I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And I, he wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. And so we look at these events, and I'm sure Daniel thought, man, this is a drag for me. I'm a young Hebrew teenager, and I got to go to Babylon and be made a eunuch. Anybody signing up for that? Probably not, but he got there. God used it. It was fulfilling God's purpose. God used Daniel to witness Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel then establishes a core group of, of uh, wise men in uh, Babylon, which later on are going to be a group of guys called the Magi who are going to come down at the birth of Christ. And they're going to say, we, we've heard about this star in the prophetic writings. Where did they learn about the prophetic writings? They learned about them through Daniel. So, so all of these pieces, we, if we can back up far enough and see through the lens of God's eyes, we can see how they all are working together to perform God's purpose. But we are living in the time, right? It's hard for us to back up and see what's going on. So we look at these prophecies and we say, well, look at Egypt. God had a plan in Egypt. There was a purpose in Egypt. He held Egypt accountable. I'm sure there were times in history in the past where Israel thought, how come Egypt just gets to do whatever they want? 
You've never said that before, right? How come so-and-so just gets away with this? Or how come such-and-such gets away with this? But nobody gets away with nothing. Right? Bible tells us in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been committed to the Son. Jesus is the judge of the quick and the dead. Every man will give account. Every man will have his moment. So here, Egypt is thinking, they're making all these plans, and they've got a purpose, and this is all going to be an opportunity for them to have this great success. But the Lord is saying, before the battle ever happens, it's already lost. You could have all the best stuff. You could have all the right things in place. But the Bible teaches us, unless the Lord builds a house, he labors in vain to build it. So if we're, we could have all the best plans and all the, you know, you can use all the wisdom of whoever. And unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. Living a life that is both submitted and committed to Christ is where we need to be. And whether that means you live in luxury or you live poor, who cares? You're fulfilling your purpose because you're living a life submitted and committed to Christ, right? The question is, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Where do you want me to be? Who do you want me to marry? What, 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 job, what, what job am I looking for? We should be on our knees praying and seeking the Lord for all those things, right? And then people always ask me, well, how do I know? Well, what do you mean, how do you know? Did you pray? Yeah. Did something happen? Did a door open? Did a window open? Did something happen where there's a, a, a path for you to walk in? Yeah. Well, you prayed. The door opened. Walk through the door. Walk through the door. Say, okay, Lord, I'm walking through the door. This door's open. I've been praying. I'm communicating with you. I'm asking you for direction and wisdom. When the door opens, walk through the door. Trust the Lord. That don't mean it's going to be easy. It just means it'll be the life God has laid out for you. You ever live in the, in the world of regret? We all have those crossroads in our life. I'm sure for the Egyptians, what if we didn't go to the battle, you know, right? What if we had skipped that day? What if I didn't show up here? What if I had took that job? What if I had moved there? What if I had said yes to that girl? What if I had said yes to that boy, right? All, whatever. But the bottom line is, what does the Bible teach us? That God is the author of history. That we are freely choosing. I absolutely believe we are freely choosing and God as the, the God of the universe is guiding and directing us through our freedom to bring about his result. For what purpose? Not so I be glorified. Everybody will say, that's blind luck. <clears throat> Nobody glorifies blind luck, do they? What do we glorify? The one who is able to orchestrate, the one who is able to design, to move, to work, as God accomplishes his purpose. We want to trust. God is guiding. I have prayed, the Lord said, if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, he will give you what? The desires of your heart. <clears throat> so are you delighting in the law of the Lord? Are you delighting in God? Are you delighting in him? Then my advice is do what you want. 
Because the desires in your heart will be God's. That's what the Bible says, and I believe the Bible. I don't just teach it to the masses for personal enjoyment. (laughs) I actually believe the things it says. That he means what he says. That he'll fulfill those those people those purposes. So the Lord says, before the battle begins, it was already over. I'm moving, I'm working. <clears throat> he says that the warriors are going to flee in haste. They can't wait to get out of there. They, they look not back. There's terror on every side. So these are trained warriors. We're going to see in a minute. Even their mercenaries are going to run away. Um, the swift cannot flee away, nor the warrior escape. In the north, by the river Euphrates, they have stumbled and fallen. Who is this? Rising like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. He said, I will rise, I will cover the earth, I will destroy cities and their inhabitants. All the boasting that men does. What does James tell us? James says, let not a man to say, I'm gonna, when I get up, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. What does James tell us to do? James says, let a man say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Because... The Lord is the Lord, right? We, 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 somehow we've developed the word Lord into some kind of religious term and it's lost all meaning. The Lord means master, king, God, right? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things I say? Those, that, those, are, those are, are, what's the word? Oxymoron. Oh, come on, oxymoron. Hey, you did it, babe. I don't know if it's COVID or Alzheimer's coming, but stand by. <laughs> I'm just saying. But it's, it, right? it doesn't make sense to say, Lord, and I'm not going to do what you say. Yeah? It's, 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 it, that, those things don't make sense. So we submit to the Lord. We follow his direction. We pray to the Lord. We, we are looking to please him. What, Jesus gives us the example. What did he say? What did he say in all the gospels? What did he do? What did he come to do? I came to do everything my father tells me to do. Right? I came to speak all the words my father gives me to speak. I came to do all the deeds my father gave me to do. Is that not the example? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? So we want to understand that concept, that submission. The Lord is saying, look, you say all these proud words, how you're going to take over the world, but you just lost. That reminds you, anybody? (laughs) You, You have all these great plans and all these great ideas on how all these things are going to come together. Ever been disappointed? The Bible says that all the nations rage. What does God do? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? What's the Lord doing from heaven when the nation rages? The Bible says the Lord laughs. The Lord laughs. We lean to him. We look to him. Nobody becomes anything unless the Lord says. What did Daniel write to us about kings? Who raises up kings? Who brings kings down? Who raises up nations? The Lord does. Who brings them down? The Lord does. Isn't that what Daniel told us? We read the book of Daniel. That's what Daniel declares. So here you have Egypt in their pride saying, we're going to conquer Babylon. We're going to get back on top. 
And the Lord says, no, you're not. Babylon is the tool I'm using now to judge the nations for their wickedness. And I'm going to judge Babylon for theirs. Because after Babylon is going to come another nation, right? And after, uh, after, uh, after Babylon is going to come Medo-Persia, after Medo-Persia is going to come Greece, after Greece is going to come Rome. And that story has never stopped, has it? Because all the kingdoms of men have one thing in common, they can't last. But there's one kingdom the Bible talks about, again in the book of Daniel, that will last forever and ever. You remember whose that is? The kingdom of God will last forever. The kingdom of man fails. Why? Because they don't have God as a center. So they are doomed over and over. How many times we read the same story? We can go through the entire Old Testament and I can tell you everything that's going to happen in one, one paragraph from the book of Judges. When, when things are bad, people are going to cry out to the Lord, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. The Lord's going to save them. Then life's going to get good and the people are going to forget God. And what's going to happen? They're going to rebel against God and life's going to get bad. And then in the midst of life getting bad, what's the people going to do? Cry out to the Lord, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. The Lord's going to save them. That cycle has not stopped since the book of Genesis. And it's not only Israel, but it's everywhere. Every nation, including us, every nation experiences these things. He says in verse 9, advance, O horses, and rage, O chariots. Let the warriors go out, men of Cush and Put, who handle the shield, men of Lud, <laughs> skilled in handling the bow. That day, I want you to hear this, is the day of the Lord God of hosts. The day that Egypt was defeated by Babylon, God said, is the day of the Lord. What we need to understand when we start to put together our eschatology, how we view end times, how's the world going to end, what events are going to happen, how's that all look? I know everybody's always, that's a hot button topic for people. We need to recognize all the time throughout the Bible, every time it's used, the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. You read the book of Revelation, right? What does it sound like? Doesn't sound like a party, does it? Doesn't sound like everybody wants to hang out. What do we got? We One sentence, you got the stars falling from the heaven and crashing the earth. And the next sentence, you got a, a demonic army who's rolling across the land. And the next sentence, you got a, a leader rising up and making everybody take a mark, right? This all sounds bad, doesn't it? The Bible describes it as what? The day of the Lord. What did it describe this as? The day of the Lord. How did he describe the fall of Babylon? The day of the Lord. So this, that phrase does not just mean, you know, the, the last day, right? It is a phrase that God uses when judgment comes upon a nation. It's the day. The day has come. And so the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. So remember, I told you, you don't, nobody gets away with nothing. Whatever was done, and this is God looking at the nations. So when God looks at the nations, you need to separate the view of God of the nations over the nations over God of the individual. Those are two different things. God looks at the nation and he says, this nation 
has made itself by grinding the poor. This nation has made itself by not caring about its people. This nation has made itself by, by abusing the nation of Israel. This ma- nation has made itself by keeping whatever the things were, whatever their And the Lord says, there comes a day when you'll be accountable to it. If you think the U.S. can be responsible for 60 million dead babies and not have to face judgment, you are outside your mind. I don't think there is a nation we can look back in history and find more wickedness. And that's just one thing. You know, I can't remember what it was last year, the Golden Globes or whatever, where Ricky Gervais roasted all of Hollywood by, by telling him the truth. And, you know, he, one of the things we recognize, one of the things he brought up is, sorry, I like to bag on Mac and Apple. I, I have to give equal time to, to PCs, too, at some point. But uh, Apple TV has this show, and they're trying to do all these nice things, right? And, and one of the things that was brought up, but you've made millions and billions of dollars working off the backs of children who have put together your components for your computers and your phones and all that stuff. But nobody wants to talk about that. We want to pretend none of that stuff happens. So when you, when you look at all of this, when you, and that's just, I'm, that's just a small, that's just one. I'm not saying they're wicked. I promise you, Microsoft doing the same thing. And whoever, what corporations, just so you know, corporations are immoral. The God of the corporation is the dollar or whatever money they're earning. And so their goal is to make money. So make money how you're going to make money. We all know, right? Nike makes $200 shoes, paying some kid 30 cents a day. So if you think the God of the universe just is giving a pass to all that, you're outside your mind. The God of the universe that held these people accountable, the reason God gives us these prophets and these prophecies is to say there will be a day. Payday someday. It will come. And that is not, I don't say that to freak us out. I don't say that to make us nervous. I say that to tell us those days come. What are the faithful of God supposed to be doing in preparation? What was Jeremiah doing? He was calling the people to something. What was he calling them to? Repentance. Repent. Repent. So we see this day of the Lord, this day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. The sword, this is a sword of the Lord. It's always a term of judgment. Shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. So the Lord is viewing all, you know, this battle, this Failure of these armies, this judgment that God brings as sacrifice. He says, go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt. In vain you have used many medicines. There's no healing for you. Well, is there a pill we can take to fix us? There's not. I wish. I tell people all the time, man, I wish there was a button I could push and make life easier for you. 
I wish there was a button I could push that would reset, you know, the tragedy that you've been through, the struggle that you're, that's going on. But there isn't. There is, there is no pill to take. There's one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's one way to go, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's it. So he's saying, Egypt, there's no pill for you to take. There's no medicine that will save you. For warrior has stumbled against warrior. They have both fallen together. You have a day of judgment. The nation's lining up for judgment and there's no cure for what ails you. Then in verse 13, this is the second poem. The word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to strike the land of Egypt. Now the first one deals with Karchemesh and they're stumbling there. The second one deals with Nebuchadnezzar coming all the way to Egypt. Egypt and, and Babylon battle it out in the north in the first one. In the second one, Babylon comes south to Egypt. They come to their home. And it says, so declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal, proclaim in Memphis and, and Tafanis, and say, stand ready, be prepared, for the sword shall devour. Uh, the sword shall devour around you. Why are your mighty ones face down? They do not stand because the Lord thrusts them down. Why is it that the army can't stand? Why is it that they can't defeat Babylon? It's not because Babylon is somehow amazing and everybody else is dumb. They're down because the Lord says, today is the day. This is the time of your judgment for the things that have gone on. This is the day. It doesn't matter. You could have all the bigger men. You could have all the technology. You could have all the planes. You could have all the trains. You can have all the automobiles. It will not matter. If the Lord says, this is the day you go down, this is the day you go down. So he's saying to them, look, they're not, your mighty ones have not fallen because they're weak or they haven't got enough food or they're cowards or whatever. They've gone down because God said, you're going down. You're not going to be able to stand against this enemy. They do not stand because the Lord has thrust them down. He made many stumble and they fell. And they said to one, arise, let us go back to our own people, to the land of our birth, because of the sword of the oppressor. So they're all going to run, run, want to run away. This is not only homegrown soldiers. These are, it was common for them to have mercenaries in their army, right? Uh, not everybody wants to fight. Not everybody wants to be in the army. But if you could had enough money, you hired an army, and the army would come and stand for you. Now, these guys are all saying, I'm out of here. Look at all these guys falling down. We're doomed. Let's, let's bail. That's the downside with with paying for an army, right? Somebody might pay more and they just go flip sides on you or doesn't seem good. So it says, the call the name of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the noisy one who lets the hour go by. All kings have a thing in common. They have the ability to be blustery, right? To make a lot of noise. But the Lord is saying, just call that guy the noisy one who lets the hour go by. Because his time's over. As I live, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Now, who are we talking about? His name is Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the angel armies. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, as I live, declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts, like Tabor among the mountains, like Carmel by the sea, shall one come. We say in the mountains, the picture of Tabor and Carmel, the two big mountains in Israel that stand above everything else. And he's saying like these two mountains stand above everything in Israel. There's going to be an enemy who comes against you who stands above you. I learned growing up, it really does not matter how bad you are, how good you are in fighting. There is always somebody better. I, I was in the Marine Corps, and I had a reputation, whether it was earned or not. And I would occasionally be visited by people. And one day in the club in Pensacola, North Carolina, I was not living as a believer. I was as wicked as any man has ever been. I have a young man walk up to me in the, in the bar, and he says to me, I hear you fight well. And I've never known anybody who's asked that question to say, yeah, no. So I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'd like to see just how good you are. And so I said, okay. <laughs> so uh, he was Golden Gloves champion. And he beat the living snot out of me. When I showed up at, <laughs> when I showed up the next morning at formation, I looked like somebody had took a baseball bat to my head. Now, he never hit me with a bat. But that's how I looked. And I remember my sergeant walking up to me and going, what happened to you? And I said, nothing. And he said, I hope that nothing didn't happen in town. I hope it happened somewhere where I'm not going to hear about it later. There's always somebody bigger. Always somebody better. There's always somebody that's able to, to defeat no matter who you are. We see it over and over again. Otherwise, there would only be one heavyweight champion, right? But there's several. Because there's always somebody bigger. What's God saying to the nation? Look, you think you're big and you think you can get away with all these things. But judgment day has come. Today you're going to pay. It doesn't matter how big your army, how much you got. You're going, you're going to fall in judgment today. Today, someone bigger than you is going to stand before you. Someone who's able to take you. Now he goes on in verse 19. So prepare yourselves baggage for exile. So he's saying to Egypt, hey, it's not just Israel that's going to exile. So are you. Uh, for Memphis will become a waste, a ruin without inhabitant. A beautiful heifer is Egypt, but a biting fly from the north has come upon her. So you get the picture, right? You're all swelled up. Maybe you're swelled with pride. Maybe you're swelled with possessions. But you're going to be defeated by a fly. That's the way the Lord describes Babylon. In fact, he says, even her hired soldiers in her midst are like fat calves. I, I never wanted to be described that way. Now, I am a fat calf today. But once upon a time, that wasn't true. So they're like fat calves. Yes, they have turned and fled together. They did not send for the day. Why? Listen, for the day of their calamity has come. 
It is appointed unto man once to die, and then what are we reading about? Judgment. But what, what's focused? We're not talking about individuals. What are we talking about? Nations. That's what the oracle to the nations is all about. Every nation will give account for the things they have done. They will give account. They shall cut down her forest, declares the Lord, though it is impenetrable, because they are more numerous than locusts. They are without number. The daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. Now there's this picture, right? People of the north are always a symbol, a metaphor. Not only does it describe Babylon who comes from the north, but the Lord uses that as a metaphor many times prophetically about his judgment. The judgment comes from the north. It's it's just a picture. The judgment, a metaphor for God's judgment coming against the people. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel said, Behold, I am bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes and Pharaoh and Egypt and her gods and her kings upon Pharaoh and those who trust in him. I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. Listen. And afterward, Egypt shall be inhabited like it was in the days of old. So every time God talks about a judgment day, he also talks about a day of restoration. Every time he talks about it with Israel, the only time he doesn't do that is with Babylon. Because Babylon comes to represent man's rebellion against God. And man's rebellion against God will one day be put down once and never come again. Right? That's our big hope. That's our hope that when we see Christ, that will be finished. So he's saying, look, I want you to understand, Egypt, it's gonna, this is going to happen, this is going to go down, but I'm not making an end of you. People will come back. Egypt will come. Is there an Egypt today? Yeah. So Egypt is going to come back. Egypt will be inhabited again. Now, whenever he thinks, whenever the writer, the prophets think about a restoration of a, of a nation like Egypt, they're also going to think of the restoration of Israel. So verse 27 and 28 it says, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Don't be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. He's saying there will be a day of restoration for Israel too, right? Just like the idea that Egypt will be able to come back to the land, I want you to know, nationally, we're talking about nations, Egypt or Israel's going to come back. Is there an Israel today? Yes, there's an Israel today. I will not make a full end of you. I will discipline you in just measure. What did he say? I will discipline you in just measure. Tell me, what is just measure for a nation that has for, I don't know, let's just say 200 years done whatever they wanted to do? What's just measure? Probably it's probably not good. It's probably not good. So the the idea, right? I will. He's saying I will be. God is absolutely just. What he does is absolutely just. He is also incredibly merciful, right? Incredibly merciful. The Lord waits for years and years and years and years, calling people to repentance in the hope that they will. Yes. 
So what is it that God's people are supposed to be, be doing in that place? What should we be doing in a wicked nation? Calling a nation to repentance in the hope that the nation will repent and the Lord will relent. Has that ever happened before? You read the book of Jonah, right? Now, after the book of Jonah, there's a, another prophet named Nahum. Have you read him? And Nahum is, is Nineveh part two. Nineveh part one, they repent. The Lord relents. They get time. Nahum, Nineveh part two, they don't repent. They don't repent. So we have this. We're talking about nations, okay? Now, does that ever have anything to do with individuals? Sure, but we want to keep in focus. Contextually, we're talking about nations. Now we're going to talk about Felicia. The good news, it's only seven verses. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Hey, there's a place in Israel they're still having trouble with. You know what it's called? Some things never change, huh? Right? The word of the Lord came down uh, through the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north. Remember I told you the north is a metaphor for what? When things are coming from the north, it's a metaphor for God's judgment coming against the nation. The Lord says, waters are rising out of the north. Now, it also happens in this case that the enemy is coming from the north. Their name is, just like it's been through the whole book of Jeremiah, Babylon is going to come from the north. This judgment will come from the north. It shall become an overflowing torrent, and they will overflow the land and all that fills it. The city and those who dwell in it, men shall cry out. Every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise of the stamping of the hooves, the stallions, the rushing of his chariots, the rumbling of their wheels. And fathers will not turn back to their children, so feeble are their hands. So the idea is this enemy is going to come. It's going to come upon. There's only two cities of Philistia that are mentioned for judgment. Um, Gaza, what was the other one? What's the other one? What's the other, Jackie? Is it Ashdod? Ashkelon? Ashkelon and Gaza. So two cities, there's five cities of Philistia. So two cities are mentioned. These two cities, the Lord says, there's, there's a judgment that's going to come. It's going to come from the north. And the judgment's going to come so swift and so harsh that fathers are not going to look back and try to save their children. They're just going to run. It's funny because having spent time in the military, I often hear people talk about what they would do in certain situations. So just so we can be completely clear, you have no idea what you will do. I don't care how many times you've seen Rambo. I don't know how many movies you think you've watched where you think, yep, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm here to tell you. There is no way you know what you're going to do in those situations. Every man is capable of being courageous and every man is capable of being a coward. It's just what happens in the moment. And here the Lord God decreed. The fathers in this judgment are going to be cowards and they're going to run and leave their children behind. And I know it happens because God said it. They're going to run. They're going to think of, of self. They're going to be so afraid. Because what? Because the great and terrible day of the Lord has come. 
when should we try to take care of the great and terrible day of the Lord? Well, don't wait for the day. I'm telling you right now. Right? If we want to, if we want to respond, we respond before, right? Knowing that the day could come, that that day could come at any time, we want to respond. What's the proper response? Repentance. It says in verse 4, Because the day that is coming to destroy the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon, we'll see their judgment later, every helper that remains. The people, people were always looking for someone who could deliver them. And so the children of Israel would say, Egypt can save us. We just saw it at the end of Jeremiah, right? Egypt can save us. And God's like, why aren't you calling on me? I can save you. Egypt can't do nothing for you. They're going down too. And the, and the prophet had delivered those same things, right? Those same messages had been delivered. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines. The remnant of the coastland, uh, Kaftar, baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gas yourself? When they would call out to their gods, how did they do it? They cut themselves. Remember Elijah? And when he was doing battle with the priests of Baal? And he said, call upon your gods. And they go to call upon their gods. And Elijah start poking fun at them. How come your god's not listening? Where's he at? How come he's not answering you? So they begin to cut themselves. Elijah starts to mock him as your as your maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe he's busy. Right? So he's saying, Here, you're calling out to your gods. The Philistines are calling out to your gods. Save us, save us, save us. The Babylonians are coming. But God, the God of the universe, is saying, They're not gods. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's one name. There is one God, and it doesn't matter how much you cut yourself, you're not going to have the result you desire. Now look at verse 6, all oh, the sword of the Lord. And then the prophet says, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard, rest and be still. Here's two things you know for certain. God will judge wickedness. That will be sated. God will judge it, and when that judgment is done, it will be finished. What did Jesus say from the cross? He said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, because the the Judgment of God was satisfied in the sacrifice of his son. That's why there's one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Romans 1 tells us we are all separated from God, right? We are all suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. We come to Christ in faith and he covers us in his blood. He clothes us in his righteousness. And satisfaction has been made. Then we become God's tool, like Jeremiah, right? We become God's tool, hands and feet, to reach out to a people saying, hey, God's going to judge wickedness. Just because you lightning bolt hasn't come in and got you yet doesn't mean lightning's not coming, right? We call the world that is to repent. 
to hear the message that God has made a way where there was no way. Jesus Christ has become that way and we can cast our cares upon him. The prophet says, put the sword back in the scabbard. Let it be satisfied. Let that judgment be satisfied. It is satisfied in the sacrifice that Christ made. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge against Ascalon, against the seashore, he has appointed it? God's righteous wrath will be satisfied. God has a right to judge the nations, and he will do so. But he has also made a way. Now the nations may rage and fight and kick and scream, but God has made a way. We come to Christ. We bow the knee. We, we surrender ourselves to him. He clothes us. He covers us. He makes us white as snow. He receives all the glory. I didn't do anything. He did it all. I trust him. Just like Abraham did of old. The Bible says what? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We call upon his name and allow God to do that work. The oracle of the nations is a reminder to us. There will be a judgment day. And God's wrath will come on those who have done horrific things. And we are all guilty before God. But Jesus Christ has made a way. He has made a way. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, God, to allow your word to change us. It's not that we come to your word to change what your word says. It's not that we come to your word to say, you know, this isn't right and that is not right. And we're going to cut this part out and we're going to cut that part out. But rather, Lord, we come to your word to allow your word to change me. You mold me and make me and shape me into your image. Your word declares that when we come to you and trust in you, God, you do a work changing us from the inside out. That those who have been justified will be sanctified. Those who are sanctified will be glorified. God, we know that you do this complete work. So God, I just pray if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, that they would put their trust in you. Because apart from Christ, all mankind will do is fall into the hands of an angry God. So Lord, I pray, thank you for the way that you've made for us. And I pray men would lay down their pride and stand humbly before our humble king and receive that which you have given us. God, be glorified in this place as we desire to follow you in all you say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.